I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome back to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. We're out of Europe, but we're leaving with our heads held high. No Brexit hasn't been sorted out yet, but as we all know, the end of Ulster's Champions Cup hopes for the season. I'm Gareth Hanna, and with me to discuss the defeat to Leinster, the manner of it, and yes, that Jacob Stockdale incident, are Jonathan Bradley. Hi. I'm Adam Kendrick. Hey guys. Johnny, that was a really depressed high. The result has taken its toll on you. It's been a tough few days. Yeah, it's a tough few days for everybody, particularly Jacob Stockdale. But that's, we'll deal with that in a minute. We'll also assess the meaning of the game in the wider context of the Dan McFarland project and look ahead to the final stretch of the Pro 14 season, if anybody really cares after that. Anyway, Leinster 21, Ulster 18. Last week we had a disagreement on how it would go. Adam, you called the Leinster win, but you did say it would be tight. Do you think it would be that tight? I didn't think it would be that tight, no. Um, I will be perfectly honest. Whenever you looked at this game, you always thought that Leinster were going to win, and it was just a sort of a debate on how much they would win by. I know Johnny plugged for an Ulster win, but uh, I don't know how optimistic he was feeling. Um, But all credit to Ulster. I mean... Sitting there up in the in the stand at the Aviva Stadium, I I just don't think I've ever seen first of all a game of rugby that good. I don't think I've ever been to a game of rugby that good before in person, and secondly, I don't think I've seen Ulster play that well for many years. I said after the game that it's it's potentially the game that they brought the most intensity and physicality to uh, since potentially that twenty twelve quarter final. Um, they just put in one of the performance for the ages. You could see that the the former Leinster boys were all fired up. On top of that, everyone else was lifted by that too. And they just from one to twenty three, they put in a performance that they can be really proud of. At the end of the day, sure they came up three points short, but that's a performance that they can really use as a benchmark now and say. Mm-hmm. Well, there's what we can do, you know, in a year where we're supposed to be rebuilding, in a year that's supposed to be bringing through a few young guys. Imagine what they could do if they build on that going forward two or three years. You know, that they've set a benchmark now. They have to keep it going from here. They cannot suddenly step back and go, oh, look, we, we did it or we put in a good performance against Leinster. That's, that's where we've got to and that's where we'll stay. This has to be a launching pad to take them to bigger and better things. Otherwise, this result means absolutely nothing. Johnny, you thought... Ulster were going to do it and I did as well I must say I'd say the offer I think uh, what's your give us your opening statement there I still think I was right you know everything that I said came true apart from the fact that Ulster didn't win in the end yeah like it was Ulster's biggest performance of the year Leinster did come out flat I think they'll never admit to it but I think they were guilty of looking ahead of the game when you see comments like it's prudent to not play Johnny Sexton for the big games ahead. Less than twenty four hours out from a quarter final. Yeah. Um I would also like to point out that. that I didn't say that. Yeah. They said that before the game, the day before the game. Yeah. Yeah. I find it wow. very hard to believe that Leinster's coaches book flights to France to see Racing and Toulouse play the next day on Saturday night. Mm. I find that very hard to believe. Well they might have been able to. No, they would have been able to, but I find it very unlikely that they did. Um, I think there was some discussion that perhaps Lancer players had already been told that their week off was going to be after the semi-final rather than <laughs> the week off the semi-final. Um, so, yeah. That's Sorry, sickening. the, the, the whole, the whole thing is sickening. That they didn't actually manage to beat them after all this. Isn't it really? Yeah, you like, makes it even worse. You're, you're not going to get a better yeah. chance to beat them. That's because. that's the hardest part to take because they could, you know, you, we sit here saying what a fantastic performance, what a uh, Ulster can hold their heads up high, but at the end of the day, it is their best chance that they'll get to well, beat Leicester. As you pointed out earlier, they could have the the opportunity for revenge in the Pro Fourteen semi final. They could, but you saying Lightning wouldn't strike twice in terms of Ulster pushing this close? I think after that performance, if. Leinster and Ulster end up facing each other again later in the season, which is a distinct possibility. 
um, or so, sorry, in the in the playoffs, I don't think Leinster are gonna take that game lightly at all because they know now that Ulster can give them a game. So is it going into that game? Johnny's absolutely right. Leinster, you can very much make a case that they were looking beyond that game and they were sort of thinking ahead. If they go into a game against Ulster next time with the same mentality, then they might not get so lucky. So, I think if if Leinster and Ulster meet again later in the season, there won't be the same mentality. I think Leinster will be a lot more dialed in from the very start. Mm-hmm. So, before we go any further, let's just address it now. The big talking point of the game, Jacob Stockdale's almost try at the start of the second half. It was the big talking point. It was branded Unforgivable by Brian O'Driscoll. And I did see somebody saying on Twitter, don't know how reliable it is, but they said that he, he'd sort of later regretted that choice of, of words live on air. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they were narrowly failed to put Ulster 18-11 clear at the start of the second half. It would have been massive. There's no two ways about it. Um, but before we discuss it, let's hear a little bit of what Dan McFarland had to say about it after the game. My, my answer to that is uh, there are not many people in the world who can beat that many players to even get in a position where they put the ball down. Um, I'm proud of Jacob. Jacob played a great game, did a lot of really good things in that. Um, he's disappointed, but that's not the reason we lost the game. Um, I'd say the, 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 the key points in the first half where our collision work, our contact work wasn't good enough, um, and that's on me. You know, I'm the coach of that area. Uh, Leinster stole a few balls off, uh, off us. We couldn't get our attack into the rhythm that, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that, that when we did, uh, showed some good glimpses um, or some really good aspects of our attack. Uh, couldn't get that in the first half. Uh, it was much better in the second half. I think things like that happen. And it's, it's, what is it? It's probably three millimetres off, off, off his finger. It's, it's, it's a small thing, but there, there were so many other small things that... Uh, um, yeah, that could have sent the game in, 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 you know, in other directions. And uh, you know, if uh, my chaos theory will tell you, you know, it could have been any one thing in the game. You know, and I'm certainly not dwelling on that because, as I say, I'm very proud of him, and I'm so glad he's in my team, or in our team. Sorry. The Ulster fans, by and large, then, well, they, similar to Dan, got right behind uh, Jacob Stockdale afterwards. There was the stand-up for Jacob Stockdale hashtag has been, uh, been going about Twitter. What was your view of it all, Jonathan? Was that a genuine hashtag, was it? Well, like, that would be a bit long, so it was just S-U-F-J-S, but yeah, it was, yeah. Right, okay. Why? <laughs> no, I'm just wondering. No, no, I, just didn't, I just didn't see it. Yeah, no. uh, well, I saw it, like, once or twice. It was, it, was, it was there. It, it was did mother, exist. It existed. <laughs> it was Mother's Day yesterday, so... <laughs> Better thing to do for a play day. Um, what a loving son you must be <laughs> if you didn't check Twitter at all yesterday. Ah, once I finished my work, I had to finish my work first. Were you cooking dinner? Did you cook dinner? I didn't, just... Uh, right. I, don't, I don't want to go into it, quite frankly, because yeah, well, it was it was a Hames. But anyway, here we are. More about Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, what do you think of it all? I think obviously he should score, like, but like Jacob Stockdale doesn't need me to tell him that he should score from that position. In the same way that Jacob Stockdale doesn't need anyone to tell him he should score from that position, he knows himself. You can see how um, disappointed and distraught he was at the final whistle. Um, he'll not do it again. I think for me, all the chat about he should have had it in two hands. I think Dave Carney gets his hand on the Jacob's elbow to pull at his elbow before he could have got it into your hands. Um, you need to dive, obviously, and slide for the line and just make sure that you score rather than, you know, you don't need to dot down the ball in the in-goal area, obviously. You just have to, like, have it on the line so you can dive from probably three yards from the line if you get enough momentum built up, which obviously you had. From there, you know, you've got a seven-point game with an opportunity to make it a nine point game the way Ulster were playing it's it would be you'd really fancy them from there obviously there was 35 minutes left a lot can happen but there was an awful lot of moments in that game where you just think that if one of them had went Ulster's way then it would have made a huge difference um when you're looking at it you know the line-out move that was called on halfway that resulted in a scrum penalty um, that produced three points for Leinster. It's not really 
something that you see anymore. But for me, if you kick the ball, your player catches the ball, you go through another phase and don't score. Like advantage to me at that, you've had your advantage at that stage. Like you, you shouldn't be calling it back fifty meters to mm-hmm. kick a penalty. Like to me, the advantage was over. I thought the advantage would have been over. You don't get ref max at European games. I thought the advantage was over, and then they pulled it back for that penalty. So that's three points. Nick Timoney's held in the rock um, as Jack Conan bursts past Eric O'Sullivan. You know, you get that decision. Every chance it was a forward pass from Luke Marshall in the build-up to his own try. So, like, Leinster fans can mm-hmm. point to that as well. Um, and then just a few other few other big moments. You know, you get a better bounce to the ball and Jacob Stockdale charges down. Um, Guy Ringo's to start the... Start the second half, John Kenny knocks over that conversion. I mean, John Kenny was superb, but um, you almost take it as a given that he was going to knock over that um, conversion and put Ulster ahead. And it's a different mindset being ahead than uh, the game being level. So there were all of these things. I think Dan call, called it um, chaos there, you know, if I, one event affects another event. You can't say that Ulster would have won. Mm-hmm. I think that they would have won, but there are were a number of things that happened in that game that if they had it went Ulster's way, I think they would have won. There were, two, there were two momentum shifters sort of around the Stockdale try, non-try, the try itself, and then the fact that Ulster gave away a penalty from the scrum and Leinster could clear it, and that was the sort of the pressure gone on them. Um, I'm not going to add much more than Johnny. He should have scored. Uh, he should have dived in. You look at Keith Earls uh, for Munster earlier in the day, who had the experience and the awareness to dive in the corner. He knew where the corner was. He knew where the dead ball line was. He knew where the defenders were. He dived in and got the score. Jacob Stockdale tries to put it down one-handed, drops it. Which team are in the semi-finals? It's Munster. So if, if there's one positive to take from it, it's that he will never do that again. Um, he will learn from this and he will move on he will be a better player for it it's just a shame that it it's happened and it's cost Ulster so dearly um, it's a shame it didn't happen like in a league game when Ulster were already winning do you know what I mean where he might have learned the lesson in uh, less serious circumstances well, it's funny he's just it's, a bit unlucky that it's happened now like there was a quote doing the rounds from his under 20s days um, talking about how he used to give us the coach heart attacks because of I have it written in front of me Jonathan I was uh, going to drop it in no don't didn't, apologize didn't want to jump apologize. Apologize. I'm sorry. No. this is a, a seamless operation today obviously <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want me to read it out are you leaving yeah, me yeah, this space okay. no if you have it go for it I'll read it out I don't know what Nigel Carlin or how you pronounce his name or how, what he sounds like so no, I would, so, I would right. do an accent or try but I don't know so I'll just do it as myself uh, as a coach, he gave us the old heart failure when he was scoring. It's not a question of actually scoring, but his technicalities of scoring and dropping his body when he's over the line. He could run the ball past defenders in the in goal area or on the line. He could still be upright. He might score the try two metres into the in goal zone rather than on the line, which basically describes a few years before. It dis- describes yeah. what happened on Saturday. And it's funny because like, you can see the highlight videos that either Ulster or BT Sport put up. I can't remember which. And... Tried like you see that try that he scored against Scarlets. Like he scored, he puts that ball down, um, in the home game practically at the dead ball line, mm. you know. But uh, nobody was highlighting these except for Nigel, obviously. Well, but n- nobody yeah. was caring when they where they were still being scored. Nobody yeah. does ever, you know. Yeah. It's the same with you know Chris Ashton. People are annoyed about it, but it's only seen as. Of detriment to your own team once you uh, don't finish it off in that position. Yeah, yeah. And what about the reaction to it all? Then there was uh, the only reason. Like, the only reason that I asked about that hashtag was because I didn't see an awful lot of criticism of Jacob Stockdale, but I saw an awful lot of people right. rallying yeah. around Jacob Stockdale. But I think that's just the modern world now. It's like um, there's an awful lot of reaction to very minimal things. Mm-hmm. I I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, I think the volume of support for Jacob Stockdale on social media far outweighed any amount of criticism of him. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't really find anything on Twitter saying yeah, anything no, about him. Yeah, I saw a couple of things, but I think they were both on Facebook. Just like a couple of people being like, oh, it's, it's just people, fans reacting in the heat of the moment. Well, in the, heat, in the heat of the moment, you obviously say, what a mistake. And even on the live blog, I said, you know, how, how will this come back to Carl Seltzer? And 
of course it ended up that it did come back to cost Ulster. I find it interesting that uh, Dan McFarland afterwards um, made a very good point. You know, how many other players in the world would be able to get into that position? Because you got to yeah. you got to remember the build up. He burst through two players and then hands off another one. You know, to actually get over the line. If it goes if it, if it goes down, yeah. it's down as one of the great. Star yeah, exactly. Like it's, exactly. It's up there with anything. You've one done. of the things that they have to do is they have to make sure he knows that he messed up. I, I think. Based on oh, looking at his face, yeah, yeah. Based, based on his face, his reaction, I don't think there's any doubt that he knows he messed up. Um, and in fact, it was it was heartbreaking at the end. The fact yeah. that everyone else down on their haunches, down their knees, absolutely shattered, and he walks off to the ten meter line on his own and just sort of reflects on what's happened and um, just walk watching all the guys walk up to him one by one. You know, you, you could tell he was absolutely devastated. So he's a young guy. He will learn from this. You know, he, he is still only twenty two. You forget that. You know, he's, he's mm-hmm. you know now an international, but he's still only a twenty year twenty two year old player who still has so many years ahead of him in the game. So he he will learn from this. Um, they just he just needs to make sure it doesn't happen again. And it. That is the most important thing. It's a shame that it's happened in a game of such magnitude, in a game where it mattered so much, uh, especially with the scoreline the way it was. Uh, but you, you can't dwell on it. You have yeah. to. You have to move on now. You have to put that behind you. Um, one one of the things I would say is, would you ask him to play the game any differently because of it? Maybe in his finishing, but not not in any other way. You know, just learn from it. Don't let it happen again. That was one thing that Luke Marshall was tipping him to do was to come back from it in, in the right way, do you think, from, from Jacob's temperament and who he is as a person who'd be able to, to do that? Well, I think he's already dealt with it well in the sense that, you know, you saw his post on, I think it was Instagram. Yeah, it was Instagram. Not yeah. Diamond the Kids, I don't know what people are using these days. The Gram, yeah. I believe it's called no. now. Not, not, not for me personally, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so he came out and apologized. I don't think he needed to. I don't think anybody really no. ever needs to no. apologize or should ever need to apologize for making a mistake on a rugby field. No. Um, but he's come out, he's done that. He obviously feels a weight of responsibility as one of his side's best players. And you make reference to Luke Marshall there. And Luke Marshall um, is often quite candid when he's talking and you know had the quote of... Yeah, when it happens to somebody else, you just sort of look at it and think, what an idiot. But <laughs> when it happens to one of your own teammates yeah. sort of thing. And that's true, because like, if it was anybody else, it would be a footnote in this podcast um, about, did you see what happened? I'm not comparing the two incidents, incidents but like, like it was with Freddie Burns yeah. earlier in the season. <clears throat> whereas now we're analysing and analysing and analysing. But to be honest, like, Jacob Stockdale is such a talented player that he'll do something great next week or yeah. the week after or the week after that. And Wouldn't it be great to see him sliding in? Yeah. <laughs> From about 15 metres. Yeah. Yeah. on the ground yeah. already. Well, I wouldn't do that in Scots and you'd end up with no, uh, <laughs> no skin on your knees on that, uh, on that pitch. But like, um, talking to Chris Henry today and like he gave up an intercept try in his Ireland debut and remembered people saying, you know, hearing this this idea that that's what he was going to be remembered for, for, like, giving up an intercept that cost Ireland a game. And I said, you know, Chris, like, I completely forgot about that. Genuinely, yeah. like, because we were coming back up in the car, we were, like, thinking along those lines of if there was anyone that you could talk to who'd made a sort of similar mistake that mm-hmm. and like how they dealt with it and stuff and it didn't even occur to me that I'd be talking to Chris on Monday and in his head it was you know that was his thing that he could yeah. relate to what Jacob was going through I haven't done it for Ireland but long winded way of making this point he had four weeks off after that because it was the last game of the season and after these things you normally do have you know, after games of that magnitude yeah. you normally do have a break because they're always at the end of the season whereas you know, also next game six day or from that point is in six yeah. days. Don't know if Jacob's going to play this week or the week after, but um, 
It is one of those things where the bounce back, I suppose, has to be fairly quick, but I wouldn't expect anything else. The, the so best way would be for him to play this week to yeah, get, say, get, straight, get back straight back on the horse. Just say, you know, get out there and get playing again. You know, what what could be better than getting a chance to redeem yourself immediately as opposed to letting him stew over it for a week uh, before getting back into preparations for Edinburgh? No, get straight back on the pitch and playing against Glasgow. Yeah, we all still love him. He's still a hero, except for like second to Michael Lowry, obviously. But like, you know, he always was. Michael Lowry's a hero. That's Michael Lowry almost scored a try. He did. Michael Lowry did did score a try that was then disallowed. Well, sorry, sorry, it was already blown up. So no, he didn't score a try. Actually, absolutely the most disappointing aspect of the game for the for the podcast. I thought you were going to say he almost scored a try when Luke Marshall didn't give him a pass. Well, there was also that. Anyway. Uh, if, if if Luke Marshall hadn't scored that, there was a there was a whole other aspect to talk about about that game. But. Yeah, that was that was a Craig Gilmer in twenty twelve situation of if you're gonna do that, you gotta make sure you score, which he did and Craig did. So, well, right. let's talk a little bit a little bit about uh, about Luke came back, scored a try within a few minutes of his like opening appearance of the season and. As you say, did really well to score it. I can't remember whether I said last week or not, whenever this was floated about Luke Marshall playing, but I thought it was nuts, the idea that he was going to play in this game. Um, How wrong you were. Yeah, what did I know about anything? <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Um, yeah, so it's, it was great to see him back after so, like, so long out, and to come in and make that kind of impact as well, just um, really, really, really positive for Ulster, but himself as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Adam, you were down at the the Ulster press conference. Was it a press conference? Was it a press conference? It was. Or was there any mention of the? Was it, loosely using that word. <laughs> was there any uh, update on Rory Bess injury? Uh, he's still with the medics today, so he, he's still being assessed uh, in terms of how bad the ankle injury is. It was heartbreaking to see him you know come off the pitch and I know he tried to soldier on but mm. clearly he wasn't okay and came off and he was in tears on the bench and then of course he reappears on crutches with a moon boot on so I mean so certainly he'll be out this week um, and then we'll, we'll see how long after that but that's uh, it, it's heartbreaking that that's how his European season ended you know we're still not 100% sure what he's going to do next year in terms of Ulster so that could be his last ever European game um, and what a horrible way to sign off that would be so it's it's just such a shame that that's how it had to be you know you wanted him to get that ovation coming off after putting in 100% effort for 60 minutes as opposed to 16 um, and of course, now you start to hope that he's fit for the World Cup and that he'll be uh, he'll be able to have one final swan song with Ireland. But um, a word for Rob Herring, though he came on did absolutely incredibly. You know, twenty five tackles was it in what sixty five minutes? That's an insane workload for someone having to come on off the bench, especially so early. Whenever you're not expecting to have to come on uh, at that point, so. Uh, no, I'll, I'll credit him for a great performance. We have often spoken in the past of the impact uh, Rory Best's absence has on Ulster. Ian Frizzell made the, made the point in the questions this week uh, that when Rory went off, um, he thought we would suffer in leadership, but that didn't seem to happen. Um, he says that Ulster are now well served going forward with Kutsia, Handy, Cooney, Cooney and Herring all as leaders and there was that I mean we had talked about it the last few weeks that Ulster are now coping better without their best players was that sort of the, the culmination of that they can put this to bed that Ulster fall apart when Rory Bess isn't there yeah because I asked Dan that question afterwards and he sort of said to probably me, in a less long winded way than I just did you've never heard me ask a question obviously <laughs> um, but it's like a mini novel <laughs> Sometimes my answer, my questions are longer than the answers. I don't know whether that says more about me or the players. It could be either. It's indeed for copy anyway. It's it's not. It is not. Um, and yeah, Dan said that, to be honest, he hadn't even thought about it, which um, showed you how the game went, that you could lose a player of Rory Best's stature. And it wasn't in the top three things that you were thinking about at the end of the game, because there was obviously so much happening. 
Mm. Yeah. Stephen McCormick then asked how significant will it be if Rory does uh, retire from playing for Ulster even after the, the World Cup? Does that give you hope that uh, it would be maybe less significant than we originally thought or still a good idea to keep him? I think it's going to be, whenever <laughs> Rory Best retires, it's going to be significant because he has such mm. an impact in training. He has such an impact in setting the sort of emotional pitch week to week and he's still a fantastic player so and it's going to be a big thing whenever he retires but without taking this down a dark road for a Monday afternoon he's going to retire sooner or later because we're all getting older he's not going to go on forever wow that got dark um, so yeah, it's like at the end of the day it's not a if Roy Best retires if he doesn't retire no, he's going to retire next year, so it's a bridge that they have to cross at some stage. John, Johnny is right on, on one point there, off the pitch, you know, in the training. Only one. <laughs> okay, you're right, you're right in all of it, but I, I want to pick up on one of them. On the training pitch, you know, we've heard about how Rory drives that, uh, that atmosphere, you know, whenever he's there, there's a lift in terms of intensity and an atmosphere, so... And, and, yeah, his impact will be felt on the pitch, but I think more more will be, one, his leadership, and two, how he drives the standards of everybody else in the squad. There's just there's something special about him, and whenever he does retire, whether it is at the end of this season or at the end of next season or whenever, you know, it's, it's going to be a big moment for this Ulster squad because we're... We saw on Saturday that they can deal with it in one game. And while we'll never know how the game would have gone if Rory had stayed on, you know, for all we know, if Rory had stayed on, uh, Ulster would have gone on and won. We, we have no idea. But the big test for this Ulster squad is how they cope without him long term, you know, because you, you can cope without one person for one game, especially in a game like that where the intensity is so high and everybody's up for it. How do they cope with him whenever he's gone altogether? Another question then came in from Big Jim, who asked, was James Ryan overshadowed by his Ulster opponents on Saturday in a rare understated performance? Treads and Handy, Karen Treadwell and Henderson, were immense. I think like last week we said that Alan O'Connor was definitely going to start after his performance at the weekend, the, the weekend previous. And Kieran Treadwell was probably the surprise selection. And then... I would have had probably John Cooney as Ulster's man of the match, but Treadwell would have been number two, running very, very close. Treadwell mm-hmm. was super, like, um, not far beyond his try. Um, a lot of the other things he did was just really, really good. But I thought James Ryan had a good game as well, especially at the end. But James Ryan had an awful lot to do in that last sort of 15 minutes yeah. that really swung the game in Lancaster's favour. You know, the funny thing was, I. Uh, James Ryan made a carry at one point and I was like, oh look, it's James Ryan. I forgot he was playing. But then, after the game, I went back and looked at his stats and I've got the stats in front of me. He made 21 carries and 27 tackles. Like, so... Yeah, he did ob- okay. Obviously, he was doing something right. Maybe he was He was just maybe There's having... More tackles than any Ulster player, wasn't it? You yeah. Know, yeah, you know what? I think Ulster just kept him contained. So he didn't necessarily have a bad game. He just had a had a quieter game in terms of impact. We're so used to him making those barnstorming runs where he hands guys off and breaks through the line. I think he just didn't have one of those games. That's not to say he wasn't effective and that he wasn't a good performer because he, he clearly was. He just he just wasn't as much to the fore as he usually is. And you know, that's not necessarily bad. You compare it with Treadwell, who Treadwell, I just thought had one of those games, you know, that you'll look back on and say everything went right for me in that game. You know, he was there whenever the charge down was made, thirteen carries for twenty one meters, nineteen tackles. Like he, he was just immense on Saturday night. I like Johnny. I was surprised that uh, he started ahead of Alan O'Connor, but fully justified that. I think there's probably a little bit of of venom in him just because he hasn't been playing quite so much recently and he he hasn't been getting the game time whenever uh 
Henderson, O'Connor and himself are fit. It's usually been Henderson and O'Connor. So I think he probably went out there just with a little bit sort of in his mind that I have to prove here. And he most certainly did that. He had a phenomenal performance. Really impressed. How significant could that that be in the career of Kieran Treadwell? Peter Lockhart asks after his outstanding performance on Saturday and this great season overall, has he played himself into Ireland contention for the World Cup? That overstepping it a little bit. But Calm down. They're only going to take four locks if everybody's fit and it's going to be Toner, Henderson, Ryan and Tigburn, to be honest. Um, but, but what does that mean then? What does the performance in itself mean for, for Treadwell? How, how it's huge. If, if he can do that on a consistent basis and I'm not one of these people that points to a game like that and says, well, why can't you do that against dragons away in the pro 14 because it's completely different things and you're talking about human beings rather than computer game characters so obviously they can't produce the emotional intensity that led to an incredible like five five minute opening from ulster really like the physical intensity in that opening produced was produced by the occasion and having two months to prepare and build up psych this up in your mind but if Treadwell can produce performances like that on a more consistent basis, then it's huge for him and huge for Ulster because you've got you're talking about Sam Carter coming in as an Australian international. Alan O'Connor, he's just an honest as the day is long grafter in your second row. Like Alan Alan O'Connor I think is very underrated as a player outside of Ulster. I think people in Ulster appreciate what he gives. Then Plus Aidan Nagle as well, who we're not really sure, but has certainly been talking about the future with Ulster. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, you throw those what five guys in, did I say there? Um, four. Four? Four guys? Anderson, Treadwell, O'Connor, Nagle. And Carter, yeah. And so, Carter, sorry. Yeah, so, that, you know, that there's five guys. So, um, again, you're coming back to that depth word, but... Tread- five guys do want to sponsor the podcast totally open to free <laughs> totally just. I had my first five guys there like a week ago two weeks ago what do you think it's good but Fantastic. It, it's expensive like it is I mean? but it, it's not the type of thing like you can't equate it with a McDonald's it's not the same it's not the same quality this it's is, not the same price this is the big question is it fast food or not Oh, it see, certainly wasn't fast when I got it outside. <laughs> <that's>, there we go. See, it is, but it isn't. It's better quality than your average fast food, I find. I think I don't. But you could, I mean. Is it worth three boojums, though? Do you know what I mean? I'm not a big boojum man. Let's not get into such contentious <laughs> territory. Plus, I, I don't know I'm complaining about the cost. Like, I was away when I did this, so I'm 100% expensive. <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> should have got six. <laughs> <laughs> to get back to Peter's question, Treadwell has to nail down a starting jersey with Ulster first. Like, that, that's the first thing. You're not going to the World Cup if you're not starting regularly for your province. So, but he, as Johnny said, you know, he, if he could replicate that on a regular basis, there's absolutely no reason why he couldn't uh, potentially have that starting jersey. Last week we spoke about all of Ulster's Leinster-born players, about 62 of them, uh, returning to prove that they're better than what Leinster currently have. Did any of them achieve that on Saturday? Well, John Cooney was unreal. Like, John Cooney was so good. And Luke McGrath's a good player. But I thought like I thought John Cooney was on a different level. Um, Cooney outplayed him from the first minute to the 80th minute. Even whenever he was down... Uh, getting treated for cramp. John Cooney <laughs> was out playing Luke McGrath. Um, and like Luke McGrath is a good player. I think at the minute there are four good scrum halves in Ireland. They've all got their merits, but I think Cooney's Cooney's in the best form of all of them at the minute. Plus, whenever I asked him about this on Friday, I was like, "Yeah, it would be silly for me to say anything, but it means more to me against Leinster, and I want to show them that they were wrong." Like, I think all the guys would say the same thing. And I didn't have the heart to be like, John, nobody would say the same thing because nobody else is as honest as that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Jordy Murphy had a really good game um, as well. Big, big chance for Jordy Murphy now as a sort of genuine seven with Dan Levy out. It's awful that Dan Levy's out, but 
Um, there's a big chance now for Jordy in terms of the World Cup. He had a really good game, really good game with the line out as well. Sometimes he has these games. I think it was Cardiff at home earlier in the season. He has games where just all of a sudden out of nowhere he just wrecks the opposition line out. Um, and he was a real factor there again on Saturday. Marty Moore had a good game. Um, in reference to the question, I'm not sure if we're going to start saying that like Marty Moore's better than Tag Furlong, that might be a bit of a stretch. But I've said it before, when we're doing this podcast, I think Marty Moore should be back in the Ireland mix um, in terms of there being three tight heads. Um, the work rate... I forgot somebody. The work rate that Eric O'Sullivan gets oh, yeah. through. Every time you watch him, you think he has nothing more to give, and then he pops up and does another carry, and it's like, where did you come from? Like... When did he come off? 70, 74th? It was just before that final stretch of play, the last seven-minute long stretch of play. Yeah, like another the, big shift. The work rate that guy puts in. I still can't get over the fact that last season he was playing All-Ireland League Rugby for Banbridge, and now, in my opinion, he should absolutely be in the reckoning for a spot in the Ireland squad. He just puts in such an effort. He carries like a Trojan. He tackles anything that moves. He is... I don't know if there's a Breakthrough Player of the Year award um, at the Ulster Awards, but he would be far and away ahead of anybody else in the running for that. He's been amazing this season. A young player of the year. So. There we go. <laughs> we'll give him that. Donal asks, uh, has a question about the World Cup selection um, order, I suppose, as well. He says, also, have lost in Europe, so it's all, everyone automatically is <laughs> just, let's talk about the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> let's put this sorry episode to bed. Uh, another shaky day for Cronin and Herring excelled. Is, that, was, is there room for a World Cup selection upset there? No, 100% is, because I think we spoke a couple weeks ago about this, and we were like, the problem for Herring is how many games is he going to play? And if Rory Best is out injured for a while, then Herring's going to be playing. So he's got a real chance to stake his claim. He was very good last week. He was, sorry, very good two weeks ago. He was very good last week. He was really good in the Australia Tour. It hasn't quite happened for him since, purely because he hasn't played enough club games for Ulster or enough big club games for Ulster. But that's not going to be a problem. Sorry, that might not be a problem in the next couple of weeks if Rory Best has a spell on the sidelines. Um, Stephen McCormick asks what is your view on whether Darren Cave should be quickly offered a one year contract we probably have discussed that before I, I think but what about for, what about Darren Cave on Saturday for, for he was unbelievable yeah, defensively he was defensively he up was against incredible. up against Gary Ringrose yeah. to do some of the defensive reads that he made on Gary Ringrose to negate um, Gary Ringrose's obvious um, superior pace to Darren Cave and to negate Gary Ringrose's footwork some of the reads that he made were just unbelievable him and McCluskey combined in defence in Ulster midfield were very very good one of the biggest compliments you can give Darren Cave is that besides the two kicks Ringrose was practically anonymous in that game um, that that is the biggest compliment you can give Darren Cave because that means any time that he tried something, it was his opposite number who was uh, who was keeping him out. Yeah, I, I think absolutely you keep him on. One, for his experience. Two, for the fact that whenever Ulster went down to pretty much one outside centre, he has stepped in. He has had some incredible performances uh, over the last few weeks. So yeah, I, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't give him a contract at this point because he has very much earned it. Yeah, And especially as someone who can be a mentor to guys like James Hume, um, anybody in that back line really. I mean, he's uh, he, he's been there and he's done it, so you'd absolutely give him, a, give him another deal and say, look, here's, here's our young guys. Let, let them know what to do and at the same time you're still going to be playing games because you know if, if he continues to play like that why wouldn't you have him in the team a word then for Ross Byrne I was watching the highlights back again this morning and yesterday you see them having their little conflab but what are we going to do with this penalty fair play for having the stones to do it and 
to to get it. Yeah, it was cake. like a hell of a cake. Um, considering that he was cramping up after every time he kicked the ball from about 10 minutes before that um, everything suggested that he wouldn't make it one he'd missed two easier kicks yeah. earlier in the game two he was cramping up something shocking and three the kick was the wrong side out at the touchline whenever uh, it seemed like he was determined to go into the corner and Reese Ruddock basically talked him out of it he would have been their goal kicker if he had gone off earlier no read. Would it have been no read? Because that's what I was sort of thinking. Like, no read would have played 10. Would, it, would he have kicked for them as well? Luke McGrath came back on, I, I think. Yeah, Luke McGrath did come back on. I know Rob Carney's kicked from distance before. Um, but yeah, I know I know Ring Rose made mention to it. Cause someone asked uh, Ring Rose if he would kick. And uh, he mentioned other people. Uh, he, yeah, no read and... Uh, no, no, sorry, just just Noel Reid. So yeah, because like yeah, one, sorry, yeah, so Noel Noel Reid would have been. At one point, it did seem a little bit strange that he wasn't being taken off because every time but he kicked the ball, he was pulling up. For me, it was incredible the discussion before the penalty. Now I, I don't know exactly what was said, but Byrne picked up the ball and sort of angled as if he was going to kick it into the corner. Ruddock came up to him and said, "What I assume is something like I think you can get this, or I'd prefer if you went for the posts." And very much top burn out of kicking for the corner and into going for the posts so the man who himself was kicking for goal clearly was not first and foremost thinking i can get this i'm confident that i'm going to go for the posts and win this so to add that onto the top of it it just makes it even more impressive that he got it and you have to give him a whole load of credit for it because even as he was running away from kicking it over he started <laughs> limping pretty badly yeah. so and, uh, man it's, it's incredible what he was able to do one word that seemed to dominate everything that all the fans were saying that uh, Dan was saying after the game was pride that everybody just felt so proud of of Ulster uh, and actually I had picked out the quote for a little fan reaction piece that we'd done from um, Ian Frizzell, regular contributor to the <laughs> He podcast. may as well be in the room at this stage. He may as well be. Oh, yeah, we, we have his question. question, haven't we? Yeah, he may as well be here. He's the new donor. Don't know if they're raging. Um, Ian said, This time last year, Brian O'Driscoll, and tagged Brian just to make sure he saw it, called us a basket case. Today, we took the European champions to the wire, and if the score had gone the other way, I don't think Leinster would have complained. Massively proud of all at Ulster Rugby uh, for turning things around. That sums it all up. Like, I mean, it's... Uh, it's easy to sort of forget just how far things have, have turned around in the last 12 months. Well, if, if you take this team uh, at this time last year, they had no director of rugby. The head coach was on his way out the door. The team were not performing. There was uh, there was an open admission that the... Uh, the place was not a great place to be around. There was just generally a sense of negativity about most things. To be sitting here saying that Ulster could have and potentially should have beaten the defending European champions to reach the semi-finals of the Champions Cup is absolutely amazing. Like What this team has done to turn things around in the space of 12 months is nothing short of outstanding. So the so much credit has to go to Dan McFarland and the coaching staff for how they've changed everything around. They've brought in a new positivity. Results are going Ulster's way. People are enjoying what they're doing, coming into training every week. That's the big difference you know, even if results weren't going the way that they are for Ulster, there's just a general sense of positivity and that this team has, for the first time in a long time, they have direction as opposed to they just seem to be going game to game, trying to muddle by and getting wins every so often. There actually seems to be a sense that this team is all pulling in one direction and there is a goal uh, coming along in the future. And with a result like that, you maybe think that, Results are now going to come a lot quicker than, uh, than uh, what they might be might have done beforehand if they weren't in that quarter final. 
you got to be patient. You know, that result doesn't necessarily mean that Ulster are now going to go and win the Champions Cup next year, but that's a, a wonderful building block for them just to start off with and to really kick on from. I saw somebody on social media, I can't remember who or where it was, but just saying that it just feels like the Ulster of old are back. Do you get that feeling? Well, I spoke to a player during the week and couldn't say who it was, but like, saying that the team hasn't felt like this since 2012. Like, Ulster have been a good team since 2012, but to have that idea that um, the spirit in the group, for whatever reason, is akin to that, I suppose, team seven or eight years ago when they were still considered underdogs but did some great things at the on the very cusp of something becoming a team that could win silverware and that team didn't win silverware and that's important to remember because it's no guarantee of anything mm. we always assumed that that team was going to win something and then they mm. never did and we continued to think they were going to win something until they just weren't a good team anymore the last two years and it's really surprising that it's turned around so quickly a lot of things have had yeah. to go their way like a couple of good sign-ins young players coming in and the most crucial thing of all I think getting the right head coach in because we've seen <laughs> the difference that it can make and we've seen how disruptive it can be if you get you know if a coaching appointment doesn't go right and you have to cut ties um, I don't think it's any secret that you know Ulster's coaching situation has been one of the most dysfunctional I can in, believe it. I read in your piece that there's five head coaches in five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Mad. you know, that's wild. To go from Anscombe... Like in the like, mid-2000s. Yeah, like... Dark times. You know, you've had Anscombe, Doak, Kiss, Gibbs and McFarland. And I know, like, people always say the difference between head coach and director of rugby. So just for the purpose of clarity... The person there have been five different people picking the team in over the last five seasons, and to get Dan McFarland in, you know we've seen it with Connacht, we've seen it with like Glasgow and Gregor Townsend and stuff, um, Scarlets with Wayne Pivac. When you're trying to rebuild a team from a low point, and you know if Ulster's lowest point was finishing fourth and in their conference and missing out on the playoffs two years in a row then that, that's not the same sort of lows as like Glasgow and Connacht and Scarlet's had or it would seem as prolonged but the most important thing is getting the right man in charge and the early returns of this Dan McFarland era are that they've done that and that's the most crucial thing that I think anyone will take away from this season beyond how it finishes over the next six weeks or whatever it's just getting to the stage where we can say that Dan McFarland is Ulster's Jurgen Klopp, really. It's Again, time to confront with football it. references. Yeah, well, it's a rugby podcast. A little Jurgen Klopp mouse man. You should get a Dan McFarland one. Just have Dan McFarland as your mouse man in the office. That would be very professional. No, no probably not. The, inter- the interesting thing about Dan McFarland is... It would also be weird. <laughs> it would be very weird. The interesting thing about Dan McFarland is he's still in his first year as a head coach. Like... You forget yeah. about that. You you just think it, it's just something that doesn't cross your mind that this guy has never had complete control over mm-hmm. a team before. Now he comes in with great credentials, or sorry, he came in with great credentials from Scotland, from Glasgow, from Connacht. But you know that this was his first time ever of being the person who ran the team, coached the team, picked the team. Um, so completely new and he has come in and seems to have taken to it like a duck to water and guys said that they thought he would do that but until he actually proved it nobody was 100% sure and here he is taking his team to the quarterfinals of Europe we were talking to Craig Gilroy today at the press conference and he said you know Ulster have got the right man he takes no crap he uh, he's just the guy at the head and he makes sure everyone is doing the right thing so as Johnny said you know Ulster have gone through enough coaches in the past to know that they've they've made the wrong uh, the wrong appointments it's really refreshing to see that they got it right and 
you know, the, the whole thing at the start with having to wait out the SRU and trying to get them in as quickly as possible, it has proven worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Good just time to, to Yeah, just to zero in on something that Adam said there. Like, you never know how it's going to be when somebody's stepping up to be a head coach. Mm. Like, I don't want to be unkind, but you do never know. It can go wrong because it's a different gig. Some people mm-hmm. aren't suited to it. So it was a gamble to get Dan McFarland in, but... Well, bear, bear in mind, Ulster had gone down the same route with John O'Gibbs. Like, John O was... St- or have I completely forgotten that he was a head coach somewhere? No, no, sure, he was at Leinster and then... Yeah, yeah. Off. So, yeah, he, he was... <laughs> I just said I don't want to be unkind, and then Adam's like, I'm going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> what are you messing? Don't look at me like that. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking offence to you at all. I, like, it's it's a... Perfectly worthy comparison. Ulster in their previous well, season. Well, see, I, I would have thought Les Kiss was the more. Um, well, I, I was going more down the road. Names. Names. See, no, this this is just going out the window. No, no, no. This this, I again, like Les, this this again is the distinction between director of rugby and head coach and whatnot. Either of them, you know, Ulster went down the route of uh, you know appointing someone who had never been head coach of a team before. Um, with both Les Kiss and John O'Gibbs um, and got it wrong. So to then go down that route again with Dan McFarland, they were putting a lot of trust in uh, him getting it right, but it's good that you know they, they have got the right guy. What has any time the last 18 months have been? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The last... 18 weeks maybe <laughs> I mean this has all turned around very quickly I feel like oh yeah I just mean when you like you factor in like last season and then like this season being relatively normal just whenever we're talking about Les and Jono and stuff just last season was nuts <laughs> like it really was last season you yeah. were just counting down the days until you were able to write that one big piece about what's gone wrong with Ulster this year you're just waiting for well, like that was the thing I think I had to do it about four times I was like yeah. no, this is this is the time to deploy the what the heck is going on it's with just this ha- club piece having another paragraph and on then every time there it was just a kept different happening. result like, I genuinely wrote different versions of the Lads, what's the story with Ulster piece? Like four times because things kept happening that required more uh, forensic analysis. Is it just me or is it has all like does everything seem to have got incredibly positive very quickly? Oh yeah, like for la- to turn around from and like I wrote this piece in the paper today. But even, I don't even mean from like last season. I mean from like Christmas. But like, there were positive were... signs, but even at Christmas it was just like, yeah, like, the signs are positive, this season's going to be alright. And now it's like, what? Where did all that come from? Yeah, but, well, I think that they didn't, re- I wouldn't say Christmas, I would say the Scarlet's games. Mm-hmm. Because they hadn't really done anything overly impressive in the early parts of the season. Everything was par for the course, like... You could have said that you expected them to lose to either Scarlet's or Edinburgh, I think we maybe did at the time, that, you know... Maybe they would lose one of those first two games. They won the both. They won their home games. They should win their home games. Winning away in in Treviso against Benetton didn't seem as impressive then as it does now. So they were just sort of chugging along. And the only result really that surprised you was the loss to Connacht and the nature of the loss to Munster. So while they were doing better than they had done in recent seasons of winning the games that they should win, they hadn't really done anything that was that surprising until they went to Clinathley and beat Scarlets. And then you follow that up with beating them at home, taking 10 points from that. Andrew Pros again then weren't impressive. Um, the Leinster one was bad. The Connacht one wasn't good no not at all and even beating Munster it wasn't done in a particularly impressive fashion given the respective strength of the teams then you have Europe again and that's impressive you have what they did over the Six Nations and while none of those performances were like hold the back page news the the collective of the 21 points out of 5 games 
So, yeah, like, it is fair to say that this has been since December, the middle of December, really, and there's been low points thrown in there with the Interpro games as well. But mm. to, like, Rory Best made the point last week of to go from that loss to Cardiff um, a year ago to here, or even, you know, there was 15,000 people there to support Ulster on Saturday. And obviously a good chunk, not a good chunk, a chunk of that number is people who are there for a big day out in Dublin in the Aviva Stadium. That's natural. That was me. <laughs> Adam making a rare appearance at an Ulster game. Um, there were 7,000 people, allegedly. And the Giants were playing on Saturday night, I should point out. That was their, le- that was their league winner. Yeah. Uh, well, they didn't win the league on Saturday night. They won it on Sunday <laughs> it, night. It was the the game from which they won the league. Um, <laughs> Correct. Good sentence for me. Well Wasn't done. it? Yeah. So, in in short, Ulster are uh, good now. This is where you have to be very careful. Like Ulster's first team have proven on several occasions this year that they can compete with some of the best teams in Europe. So you have the wins over Racing, the wins over Scarlets, uh, Leicester, and that performance against uh, Leinster. Where they are still short is in their squad depth. They are still requiring a bit more. It's vastly improved from what it was last season. And even over the course of this season, you've seen it grow with a few signings, with a few uh, guys from the academy pushing up. But they're still needing a few more guys. You know, where Ulster were bringing on, um, you know, the likes of Andy Warwick and uh, Nick, or sorry, not Nick Timmy, uh, Sean Reedy on on Saturday. Leinster were bringing on uh, Ed Byrne, who's moved ahead of Irish international Jack McGrath in the pecking order, and Irish international Dan Levy. You know, they're bringing on. Uh, uh, Jamison Gibson Park as, as a replacement scrum half um, Ulster had John Cooney out there for the full 80 minutes so it, where Ulster are still a little short is in that squad depth Ulster's bench was still very good I'm not trying to I'm not trying to poke holes in Ulster's bench because I, I really like a lot of those players but it, it was just having that little little bit extra for Leinster to bring on, that if you say for Ulster, right, you bring on this guy and he'll make you X number of metres on X number of carries, that's maybe where the difference is made. It's, I'm nitpicking here, but it's, it's just, you want Ulster to be the best in Europe, and Ulster want to be the best in Europe, they have to keep driving the standards, because they're not at Leinster's level yet. Saturday's result doesn't mean they're now at Leinster's level or they're at the same level as Saracens or a team like that it just means that they've proven that on their day they can compete at that level they now need to prove that on multiple occasions going forward that's why I'm saying this result doesn't mean that they're at the top they have to use it as a benchmark to push on Mm. otherwise that result means nothing they may as well have gone out there and been hooked by 100 points but uh, but as Adam had written his comment piece on Saturday night the the young players coming through and everything, there is a feeling that this is just the start. If you had told me three or four months ago that Ulster's squad next year would be better than the squad this year, I would have been surprised. Like, the tea leaves, the reading of the room, whatever, seemed to indicate that, not seemed to indicate it did, people were people within Ulster did not think that Marcel Cotillo was going to stay on. He is. Um, you talk about a few more signings that are going to be announced soon, very soon. Then you're talking about having even more depth. And part of that depth has been provided by the players that have emerged since, who are now going to be competing with those guys that were coming in. You know, And bear in mind that seven players have featured this season or been in the squad this season that are no longer there. So it's a huge transformation of the squad. But it seems to me like there's going to be more depth there last year, or sorry, next year than this year. And that's what you want to build. So 
well, you know, again, I'm loath to say that this is really the start of something because they have to go on and push through a number of really, really good teams in order to win any silverware because Leinster are going to be a lot better. I think Leinster just Leinster got something wrong last week, quite simply, um, to come out the way they did in that game. And you could, this is not, um, this is not hindsight because I was saying it all last week. The mood in Leinster as a province last week was weird. Like they were looking beyond a quarter final. Like no disrespect to John Fogarty, but like the big story in Leinster last week was what their scrum coach is going to be doing next year in the wake of a quarter final. Mm-hmm. The team selection was weird. The hype, build up, whatever you want to call it, was muted. It was very strange. But they're still a fantastic team. And they're still a team that you have to go through to win anything. Mm-hmm. You have to go through Glasgow. You have to go through Monster. You know, you're going to be playing one of those teams, possibly at some stage, if you don't nail down the home um, semi final or quarter final. So. Damon Farland sort of made this point on Saturday night, like Edinburgh, Treviso, Leinster, Scarlets in your conference. That You're not even talking about the league there. You're talking about those are the teams that you have to get by in your conference just to win a domestic competition that a lot of people in the wider circles don't even value. You know, It's yeah. so tough to win a piece of silverware now. Just one final listener question then to tidy up. Andrew Boyd asks, and it was something I must say, I didn't even notice until the paper this morning. Thoughts on why Behan Herbst signed off on Saturday and not the end of the season? What was that about? I think that he probably... <laughs> we maybe alluded to this earlier. I think that he wanted to leave... Sorry, in an earlier podcast, I think we alluded to the fact that the emergence of the stories maybe made it seem that somebody wanted the Bulls' interest in Herbs to be out there in the public domain. I think he probably wanted to take part in this Super Rugby season and it would have been very hard for him to do if he was staying on at Ulster. And from here on out, he would say that it looks like Ulster are happy enough to go with... um, Kane and Tom O'Toole at Tighthead and presumably with somebody else covering Lucid. I don't even know. You're looking amazed if I have all the answers. Uh, maybe I was forgetting a Lucid. Oh, Tommy O'Hagan's back, is he? I don't think he's back from injury yet. So you probably, you probably go with that. Because they registered him in the European squad, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, so yeah, actually, <laughs> theoretically. So yes. he he must be fit because Herbst has notionally been covering Lucid. Yeah. Not notionally, he actually did it <laughs> against Kings. So yeah, we, it obviously would be strange if they got another injury at Lucid and ended up without one. But I think for the remainder of the season, they're obviously going to be happy enough to get Votil and. Key in a bit more minutes and say farewell to Herbs, let him go, take part in Super Rugby and go home. So on a much quicker than usual preview this week then, Ulster are back to Pro 14 action. Uh, away to Glasgow on Friday, the start of their the final run-in, the final three games of the regular season. Away to Glasgow, away to Edinburgh, home to Leinster. What can we expect in terms of, uh, of team selection this week? I appreciate I'm asking you to be basically psychic, but it's it's a tough one, yeah, because players aren't even back in training this week. Yeah, as it stands. Yeah, so. so the the media briefing, as it were, this week is before anything's actually happened. Like Ulster haven't even got their medical update yet. Ulster so were off don't... yesterday and today. Yeah. So. So we would be somewhat difficult <laughs> in terms well, of so, so imagine. Well, one one, th- one thing I can tell you from talking to Dan Super today is that the guys are really well. If it, the guys are really eager to get back on the pitch. Now that doesn't mean that necessarily they're going to select all of them. You'd you'd think maybe you know Ian Henderson coming back from injury might sit this one out and potentially Marcel Coetzee as well. Just as they manage these guys back in, they don't want to give them. 
two massive games in, in a row. Um, but certainly it sounds like these guys really want to be back out there playing straight away again. They, they want to keep the momentum that they got on Saturday going. So you could very easily see uh, a team that doesn't have too many changes to it. Will there be any sort of form of managing the squad though with uh, last week's game obviously and, and these two big ones then coming up back to back? I like I wouldn't be surprised if they target the Edinburgh game. I think it would have been better for them if Edinburgh were looking ahead to a semi final, a European semi final in that week. But I don't know. I wouldn't Bloody be monster. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to see them target one of the games because just the physical and physical toll and the mental toll of that game. I think it's going to be huge to be playing six days again. Six days later is big. Obviously, best is out. Wouldn't be surprised, as Adam mentioned, if Henderson and Marcel sat it out as well. Um, Cooney, possibly. Um, I think it, it's it's going to be a difficult mental balancing act for Dan McFarland this week to sort of get the get the pitch of things right because there will be players. Maybe even Stockdale chief among them who just want to get back out there again. But then you've got three huge games over the next four weeks. So let's go into these final three games. Four points ahead of Benetton, seven points ahead of Edinburgh. Do we know what they need and when they need it to get that second and home quarterfinal? I mean, it's very dependent on what happens elsewhere. They're four points ahead of Benetton at the minute. But... Bannathan go to Leinster this weekend and host Munster the next weekend. And Munster now will be preparing for a European semi-final that weekend. Whereas Ulster obviously would have much rather um, it was Edinburgh. But um, if Treviso win two of those games and get nine points, then you need five points to match there. And that puts you on 59. That would leave Edinburgh needing to win all three games to hit 59 four yeah, 12, yeah 59 Scarlets um, could only do that if they get three or two bonus points wins and another win so these things probably aren't going to happen so to be honest I think also probably need one more win and nothing else if they beat it if that win comes against Edinburgh one more win and a losing bonus point or to hold Edinburgh to not you know not have a five point swing against Edinburgh so so that's why it probably makes sense to target that Edinburgh game then really yes exactly pretty much and there we go um, just that's pretty much us then really isn't it what about the the clubs how did Enstonians get on last weekend they were beaten by Anna Scorthy in their first game not, not good news not not at home no no, and um, this weekend, um, it's a a very quick uh, club section this week. But I think the biggest game this week is Balna Hinch against City Barma, possibly the other way around. Don't know where it is, but they play each other. Uh, Balna Hinch obviously tied on points at the top uh, on forty eight with Old Wesley and Big City Barma six Th- points behind. This is the first weekend really where you can start to see teams getting spots in the playoffs, um, sort of wrapping up. Where they're going to be at the end of the uh, at the end of the season, and you know, even even a bonus point win this weekend for Hinch could put them on the cusp of uh, winning Division One B, which has obviously been so close all the way right to the uh, right to the end. They are away at City of Armagh in a massive Ulster derby because Armagh are obviously still pushing for the playoffs as well. So. The penultimate weekend always throws up uh, a lot of stuff, and it can be the difference between who's pushing for something in the last weekend and who's mm. who's not. So there's a there's a lot to be decided this weekend. It's very exciting. John Dixon will be very excited indeed. So that's us from this weekend. So from Adam McKenna. Cheers, guys. And John from Bradley. Thanks very much. And myself, Gareth Hannah. Thanks for listening.